Hello and welcome to another episode of the MLS Soccer Show. I am your host, Tim Crean. With me as always is my co-host, Mike Calandrillo. Mike, how are you doing today? I'm great, Tim. It's been a fun, fun week. we got so much to talk about in the world of international soccer, a little bit of MLS. There's so much going on. Let's take it away, my man. Yeah, so we're going to start with uh, the U.S. men's national team. Their uh, their great week. Uh, one of the games, of course, their their draw with Mexico, their monster victory over Panama that, of course, you attended. And so we will talk all about that. And uh, we'll even talk a little bit about the Costa Rica game, although uh, by the time you guys all listen to this, that game will probably be in the books. Hopefully uh, just not a 6 nothing loss uh, for the United States. But we'll get into that in a second. First, let's go chronologically, Mike, and talk about the 0-0 draw in Mexico. What were your thoughts from that game? Greg Burhalter did what we wanted. He he put out the best healthy starting 11 that we possibly had. And, you know, Tato Martino did the same. He put out his best 11 because he was looking to climb um, up to second in the ever-famous octagonal standings. Uh, he, he, you know, Chucky Lozano uh, was, was big, and that meant that, I'm going to say it because he wants people to call him Jedi Robinson. That's that literally is what he wants people to call him. Wow. I, I don't know why, um, but it was clear that that Robinson was going to have, a, you know, a, his hands full all night, um, uh, especially, you know, defensively, obviously uh, him being a, a left back. Uh, and it, it drove me crazy. The amount of times that Jedi was said probably 30, 40, 50 times, but I'll give Robinson his, his flowers, his ability to get up and down the pitch was really, really important. And it kept Chuki uh in check, um, Juki in check. I think that's the tagline we need to work nice. with. But again, it goes to Pulisic. Uh, I know that the cross uh, from Wea that Pulisic had on his foot, low cross, was was tailor made to be a goal, um, and that's going to stick out in everybody everybody's mind. Obviously, it looked like a sitter, but you know, let's let's give Pulisic a little bit of credit, and maybe we can say that now in hindsight after what we know what he did against Panama. Um, so maybe it's good we don't record the show right after. But anyway, <laughs> he looked his his movement looked really really good. He was much improved against Mexico uh, from the previous three games. From previously what he was doing to Chelsea, he drove at space. He was aggressive. Um, more than he'd done so with the national team for a long time, um, regardless that he missed a chance. My big takeaway, really, besides my main takeaway, is Gio Reyna. I know you love Gio Reyna. Um, I know that he is he is our number two man crush here behind Walker Zimmerman. Kid's 19, okay? We, we forget this, all right? And I went back and forth a little on Twitter. Um, Brian Denseth of uh, SiriusXM uh He's he, you know, I sent him a picture and he was just like, Man, he is a big dude. You forget how big he is in person, and you really, really do. And I think, you know, I, it's not really going on a limb, but he's going to take his next step in his career within the next 12 to 16 months. And I think at that World Cup, he's going to be able to command a whole lot of money right after he performs the way that we really expect him. And it'll likely be to an EPL team. Um, he's been linked with his good friend Erling Holland for quite some time now to potentially go to City, which I know you obviously love. Um, Just like his but again, father. And, yes, yes, his uh, his father. In the 71st minute, he put an amazing first touch on a, on a first touch lob on, to the foot of Jordan Peefock, which, my man, what were you doing? Where were you looking and where did you kick that ball? You were r- wide right like Scott Norwood. Is that, does that work for you there, Tim? That's not okay. That's not cool. Tim's a Buffalo Bills fan, guys. Yeah. Anyway, five minutes later, Gio looked like Lionel Messi. 
carving his way through the defense, slaloming his him way past seven men across 50 plus yards. It, it was amazing. He literally he dipsy dude his way, Dicky V, we love you, all the way up until about the 18 when he lost the ball. He had to be tired. A healthy starting Geo in the in the starting eleven is going to propel this team to big things. And my other big takeaway, which you may want to correct me because we've got different feelings, but uh, it's still that we don't have a number nine. I know Jesus Ferreira scored a goal in the Panama game. Uh, it was off a deflected Paul Ariola shot, so let's not get crazy. He was in the right place at the right time. Hit the right time, okay. Um, but I'm even, I'm even going to give it to Burhalter, who re- who said right after the Panama game that there are still likely to be players that are going to come in to the potential yeah. World Cup team that aren't on this team right now, which is the final three games. There's going to be some uh, plenty of friendlies, obviously, before the World Cup. But the fact is we may see another number nine, which is a little scary. And that's my biggest concern headed in. Will we see Sargent, who's played decent at Norwich? Will we see DK, who hasn't really played much because of injury while at West Brom? Matthew Hoppy's another guy who who's played sparingly, not necessarily a number nine. But will these guys come in? Is it going to be Ferreira, who's played really well for, for Dallas this year? Do we go back to Pifak, who did not play well in this game? Oh, there's still so many questions. I don't want to see Zardes. I don't want to see... Uh, Altador. Oh, please, let's not go down that road. So that's really what I have to say as far as the Mexico game is concerned. Still leaving me with questions. Tim, talk me off the ledge and tell me why it's both probably going to be Jesus Ferreira. Yeah, well, first of all, uh, Altador and Zardes, oh, don't even get started with those names. Yeah. That We know how that turns out, and it's not well. And we're going to talk about Jesus Ferreira when we talk about Panama a little more. But, you know, don't discount being in the right place at the right time for a number nine for a striker. Because, yeah. you know, there's plenty. Some of our favorite strikers, Harry Kane, uh, Sergio Aguero, made a career of being in the right place at the right time and turning those into goals. And that's not a small skill. But... We're going to talk about Ferreira more. Um, just for the Mexico game, first and foremost, the team got a point at Estadio Azteca. They It's the, only the fourth time in World Cup qualifying history they've done that. So that's a, a moral victory uh, for the U.S. men's national team there. And the point helps them qualify, which they're now on the verge of doing. Uh, that said, it's hard not to be disappointed that the U.S. didn't take home the real W, not just the uh, the moral W. Um, the two huge misses by Pulisic and P-Folk were, were bad. Uh, you got to bury that in big spots, and you know it's gonna be it's gonna be loud and ugly and hot in Qatar, uh, and and it's gonna be a bad environment. You know, maybe not quite as unfriendly as uh, as Teca is, but they need to to bury those in big games, and so that's something to watch out. And you know, while while they kind of dominated the game, I think that there, there's a there's a little bit of a problem forming offensively. Um, that when you have Pulisic and Weah and later Gio Reyna out there. These guys are, are supposed to be wings, and they just can't help themselves. They try to play a bit of hero ball and pinch into the middle. They want to score those goals, which I get it. They're the best players on the team. There's not a true, a, a really great number nine uh, on the roster, so it's going to be up to these guys to score goals. But that completely blows away the entire team spacing up front. And the middle just gets so congested and not a good way. And it's, they're, you know, these European-based players... Uh, 
up front is tough because they don't, they aren't the traditional wings. They don't stay to their roles outside and any kind of system that Burhalter might want to play seems to get blown up when all those guys are in there together. So that's something to watch uh, going forward. And it, it didn't result in goals. The end of that game got really defensive for the U S it got really dicey. Uh, like you said, Lozano was fantastic. I mean, he was the best player on the pitch for Mexico. Um, but they came away with a win. That's that's the takeaway here, or the, with the with the moral win and the and the draw. So uh, so that's the point, and it left it up to the Panama game, where the team responded in a huge way. And of course, uh, you were in attendance at this uh, really historic game for the U.S. Uh, after last at last World Cup's collapse. So tell us about the whole experience, and then what you thought about the game. So much fun. Uh, you know, I, I always try to take a friend or a buddy that not necessarily, maybe not a soccer fan, but hasn't experienced it. And I, you know, even myself, I've been to a ton of soccer games, MLS, you know, hundreds of times, but I've never been to a U.S. Uh, national team game. And, and especially cool. one of this magnitude. So, man, just getting downtown Orlando an hour and a half before the party atmosphere, the vibe, everybody's decked out in red, white, and blue. It was just so cool. And my buddy, he, you know, he was in the army. So he's, you know, he's a patriot and he loved everything. Whether or not, you know, he knew about soccer. He just loved the atmosphere. And it was, it's so cool. Downtown Church Street in Orlando reminds you a little bit of uh, New Orleans with that whole, you know, Mardi Gras vibe. And it was, it was just, it was a party atmosphere. Everybody was in a good, a good frame of mind. Nobody wanted trouble. Um, it was just, you could tell everybody was there to root for for us, and it was it was such an awesome experience just walking to the stadium. And then you get to the stadium, and then people are chanting USA, and it's just it's awesome. And it, and then you know we'll talk about it, but it was like Orlando, you know, whether or not look they're playing really well here. They played well here in Orlando City, um, what used to be Orlando City Stadium, now Exploria Stadium. Perhaps eventually it could be the home of U.S. Soccer. I know traditionally that's a place like Columbus. Um, but it's really cold, really cold there. And we give people frostbite uh, when we go to Minnesota. So maybe we don't want to There's do some that. home field advantage there too, though. Yeah, there to is, keep it cold is. for these Central American teams. It's true. So maybe we'll just bring like, uh, you know, European teams to Florida in the, in the 90 degree weather when it comes Perfect. to the summertime. But you know what? I got to give it to uh, Captain America. You know what? Uh, look, he showed a lot of character, a lot of moxie. Uh, he was not afraid to get chippy with the Panama team that were trying mm. all first half to get under the U.S.'s skin, and especially Christian Pulisic. They they knew that he's our number one. He's our guy. And Panama's not that talented, and, and they did what they had to do. They tried to, um, you know, really get uh, – draw yellow cards, get somebody potentially thrown out. And, you know, for the first 15 minutes, it kind of worked. Um, but, again, it this it really went back to the U.S. being dedicated, being, uh, you know, working within the system. And Burhalter put out a pretty solid club overall. Um, happily, I, you know, it, it worked, obviously. Um, it's the first time the U.S. men's national team has scored three goals in the first half in a World Cup qualifier since the last time they actually played Panama here in Orlando, the home of World Cup U.S. soccer since 2017. So we got that. Uh, the team, we got, look, we got that penalty in the 17th minute uh, from Pulisic. Fundamentally, in my opinion, it really changed the game. It allowed the U.S. to yeah. sit deeper. Uh, press less aggressively than normal. And again, we go back every show, we talk about possession. The Panama had the ball 60.7% of the time, but it didn't matter because it allowed the U.S. to deny Panama the ability to generate good chances. Panama was then forced to play up the field much more aggressively than they probably would have wanted, especially being down one nothing so quick. And as a result, the U.S. found space to drive into the attack, generated extremely high-quality shots. They outshot Panama 15-10, uh, the goal expected differential, my favorite, XG, was almost five times higher than Panama, and that is huge. 
So, Tim, there's a lot of good that went on. And before I get into my players that I that I was happily excited to see and got some good takeaways, what did you feel about the game? You know, again, watching it on TV, um, you know, what was there anything you saw? I mean, there's so much going on in the, in the moment, especially that, that one play where it was that feverish in the box where the ball went off twice off the off the post. And I was just like, what the hell is going on? Because it was right in front of me. Um, and I, I can't believe Panama didn't score. But aside from that, from, from your perspective, and sometimes being on TV, getting the TV view is a lot better than being on the pitch. Mm-hmm. Um, what did you see? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's hard. My biggest takeaway from here wasn't so much tactical or anything like that. It was more just a feeling that there is some some attitude, some fight in this U.S. men's national team that we haven't seen for a very long time. And they needed this game. They needed this game to be a, a, a win, a real win, not a moral victory. They needed to take the three points here. And they came out blazing. And that is something that... I think this game is a good stepping stone to go forward into the friendlies against bigger teams, into the World Cup. And when when they do get to Qatar, if they can take that attitude and that fire that they had in this game, that's going to serve them really well. Because, you know, we all know after uh, Alexi Lalas's rant in 2017, after uh, uh, who else? Like all these guys had yeah. these, big, uh, these big blow-ups. And... They all question their toughness. They question their desire, uh, and, and this is the game they showed up and 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 did it. And not just not just beat Panama like they should, but really took it to them and just an avalanche of offense. And I thought it was great to see. So uh, that that was my biggest takeaway. And yeah. it did look like a party atmosphere on TV. So that was great too. Yeah, a lot of fun. And let's never forget Tyler uh, Taylor Twelman losing his mind because that's Taylor Twelman exactly. That's the other one. Never seen for. that. Google it. Yeah. Uh, real quick, some of the guys that you that for me stood out were uh, Luca Delatori. Um, I followed this kid since he was at Fulham. I mean, that was many mm-hmm. many years ago. Uh, he's playing in the Eredivisie now. He look. He really looks like he cemented himself as a first alternate in the midfield. And I and whether you think that's not important or is it's really important, uh, mm-hmm. especially you know uh, from here on out. He motivates the team. Uh, he really he's a short in possession. He brings a welcome degree of dynamism, uh, creativity to the midfield, which sometimes can be lacking, um, especially when you're missing Weston McKinney, who's got a broken foot. Uh, and my biggest thing is he looks out for his teammates. If you have mm-hmm. not seen it, go on Twitter. There is an amazing video of him constantly inserting himself in between his teammates and the ref when things were percolating. It's wonderful. It's like, it's almost like John Gruden doing that Monday night football thing where he kind of has the X and the O's and he's circling where De La Torre inserts himself in front of Pulisic when Pulisic went over into the sideline. Um, it was just, it was really great. You need a guy like that. And he's, look, he's not going to start, but if he can bring that fire even to the bench and keep the reserves hot and going, that's what you need. Yeah. And I saw that video. It was great. I mean, you know, he, he stuck up to the Panamanians. He stuck up to the refs. He protected Pulisic. You know, I mean, when you have a superstar, and I mean, this goes back to, you know, the Wayne Gretzky, Marty McSorley days, like back in the NHL, like you need a personal protector because people are going to try to take liberties with your best player. And Delatore mm-hmm. feels like he can do that role. He was a huge bright spot from the game. And, you know, they didn't, they don't have a lot of edge, a lot of toughness without McKinney in the lineup. And so I like that. I know you say he's the first alternate, but man, I'd like to see him play with McKinney. Uh, at some point, they play a very similar position and style, yeah. so I don't know how much they're going to play together. But the other problem there is that McKinney might not be back until the opening round of the World Cup. We'll see yeah. how he recovers from his injury. Hopefully, they can get on the field together for some friendlies, and uh, and maybe they do make make a pairing. Because wh- who do you have him, McKinney, and Adams as the as the midfield? 
Yeah, you know, not like Adam's character, he showed a lot of fight as well. Mm-hmm. It's it's a small pairing. I'm gonna say that. I mean, if these guys are five nine, that's pushing it. Um, yeah. It doesn't necessarily mean everything. It just means you know some of the control. And luckily, they're stronger. They're stockier on the ball than some. But yeah, if I had to say today, th- those are my two, uh, and they they work really well together, McKinney they do. and Adams. Yeah, no, yeah. So, like but again, as a second one, you're going to get some starts. You're going to get a lot of playing yeah. time. So, uh, seeing seeing how him and McKinney work together, I think would be really nice. But Mike, I mean, this game was uh, was all about the Wonder Boy uh, more than anything. What were your thoughts on Pulisic? Yeah, I mean, obviously he was super aggressive. I showed it on the second goal with him driving it behind the Panamanian backline, eventually setting up with the Jedi uh, to make the cross for the winning goal, <laughs> and that's the that was the third goal. Uh, the third goal, Tim. It's what yeah. the kids call the sauce, okay? The sauce was hot. I mean, yeah, look, the first two goals came on PKs. There's always going to be somebody that is just annoying and calls you out on that. Uh, but I'm going to give it to Christian because that showed confidence. It showed an ability to make necessary shots. Because what what would have happened if he would have missed one of those or got two of those? We would all be talking about that. But he buried them. He put them in. He even kicked the second one right to the – or the first one to the goalie side that the goalie dove. So that was awesome. But that third goal, that was all set up from those first two because he was confident. He was so confident. He, it, it was – there was a ton of flair. Look, he took the first touch. He nutmegged the second guy. He put the nail in the coffin for the hat trick. Anything anything less than should be uncivilized to take a former commercial that used to be famous. So it was it was fantastic. It was absolutely phenomenal. Um, and, and then my second guy is your boy, Walker Zimmerman. Um, underrated because he's a center back. And a lot of times, if you don't hear a center back, that means he's doing his job, okay? Um, and you got to give credit to the midfield, too, to keep the ball from getting sometimes to the center backs. But his presence is so important in that back line. He's calm. He moves all around the pitch. He's got great fluidity. He's not a burner. He doesn't have to be. He's, he's a giant man. Um, but he's great on headers as well. I think that's super important. Um, Reyna, like I said, much bigger in person. This kid, if he's healthy, please stay healthy, Dortmund. Do not run him into the ground as you're famous for doing with certain players. Um, we need him because he can play that right wing, um, which he probably – Definitely should start off with Paul Ariola. He can play that number 10 if Pulisic gets pushed out wide. There's a lot of options. Uh, Tim Weah moving forward. There's a lot of guys. Like you said, there's a lot of wings. So we can only start so many. I thought Shaq Moore was good, brought good energy. He had good pace. I thought his crosses were not so good. That that concerns me. That's For me, the right back needs to be Serginho Dest. And, and again, yeah. Berhalter mentioned as much that he was missing. Um, mentioned, look what he's doing at Barca. Even though he doesn't play as much as he did last year, he's been really, really good. And again, he can score. I mean, this is a guy that's played some uh, right wing from Barca. And he's uh, not that that's going to happen here, but he can he can score with the best of them. So we need that type of uh, player. And then Stefan. Um, I, it's a little shaky at times, you know, mm-hmm. and that comes from not starting. We talk about that all the time. He's at City. He's not going to play ahead of Ederson unless they're playing in the Carabao Cup or some type of other crummy cup. Some kind of um, shield. Yeah. Yeah. Shield, supporter <laughs> shield, some yeah. kind of uh, virus shield. He just didn't have a ton of authority when he came out of the eight yard box and uh, he didn't play the ball, especially well with his feet out from the back as well. That, I don't love that. Um, he's a little slow, especially on the headed goal towards the end of the game. And that could be chalked up to stamina, obviously him playing all 90 minutes in Mexico. Um, but for someone that's six foot three, and maybe it's because he's only a buck 90, but he looks like a giant man in person as well. Um, he needs to own that area. Um, kind yeah. of the way, and again, Turner's not much bigger, 
But Turner really went, you feel more confident. I, and again, I'm not on the pitch with him, so I can't speak to his teammates. But um, from a supporter's perspective, he looks like he owns that box and you don't want to get anywhere near him or he'll put a boot up your backside. And I want to see that more from Stefan. You know, that just may not be his game, but he's just so he is such a bigger presence than everybody else on the pitch that he needs to throw that body around. And maybe he does need to gain 10 to 15 pounds of muscle to feel more uh, adequate. But um I just want to see yeah, a little wait, bit more. Real quick, the one thing the one the one thing I'll say about Stefan though is that just the one thing he does bring uh, is that kind of city distribution. And Sean Johnson has some of that too, playing at NYCFC yeah. and, and kind of part of that city system. So I get, yes, I agree. He does need to be stronger, but uh, you do want to kind of balance that out. Cause I do think that's an important thing, especially when the U S is playing kind of as route one football as direct as they have been kind of up the, up the pitch in these last couple of games. You do yeah. want to see that distribution. No, no, I, I totally agree. All right. Now I've waited long enough. I want to hear about Jesus for yeah, listen, Paul Ariola and Jesus Ferreira were the best, outside of Pulisic probably, were the best parts of this game. Uh, they looked like they had a chemistry. Uh, Ariola will actually play on the wing as opposed to some of these other guys. So, yeah. again, that opens up space in the middle. And, you know, Ferreira has a lot of confidence from, from playing at FC Dallas and scoring those three goals in his last game. Confidence playing with his teammate. And I want this to, to start a real a quick, you know, longer conversation about should Burhalter be starting more MLS players? Should he be adding more MLS players to the roster? Um, there's something to be said about the chemistry between teammates, about the chemistry of style of play between people who play in the same leagues. I mean, you look around the world, look at England, right? They have John Stones and Kyle Walker who really pair well in a, a defensive three-man back because they play together at City. Up front, they have Sterling and Foden, again, who work well off each other because of their connection at City. And then just from the kind of style points of the league, I mean, Germany is basically all Bayern Munich and Borussia Dortmund guys. Spain is basically all Barcelona and Real Madrid guys. So, you know, would, you know, MLS is getting to a level where they have a style of play. It's, it's direct, it's defensive, it's counterattacking, it's tough. Do you want to add more of that? Because when you have Pulisic, when you have Wea and McKinney and uh, Reyna and Dest, you know, you're looking at a player from England from Italy, from Germany, from Spain. You're looking for a player from all those leagues. Um, you know, Erdovese, you said, you know, these guys play in the Netherlands. So these guys are all spending all their club time playing different styles, whereas the MLS guys all come from a, a similar stylistic league. And that could be a style that could give other team problems because you watch this game and look, they are never going to be a Pep Guardiola coach tiki-taka team, you know, as much as they try sometimes. I think they got bogged down a little bit of that against Mexico. They tried and they just continually lost the ball. They need to have more, I think, of an MLS-type style. And would would having more MLS players help for that? I mean, we do have the second most MLS players behind Canada, believe it or not, which mm -hmm. everybody always used to point out, oh, you've got too many MLS players. And that was right. always the argument, you know, you need to play against the best to be the best. And you know, I totally get that, but I also understand your point. Yeah, that it would create more cohesion. Um, it's tough. My biggest thing and the most important thing to me, and you know, I could be wrong, is playing. I mean, I just literally right. just said That's it with Stefan. I feel like if hey, if you're in Europe and you're starting every game, um, which okay, maybe when Gio is healthy, he starts the majority of matches for Dortmund. But you look at Pulisic this year. You look at Stefan. You look at Dest. I mean, you can go up and down the lineup, and these guys are not starting more than 
35, 40% of games for their clubs. So that, yeah. that for me is, is the biggest concern. Um, yeah. I, and, and it's funny. Cause then you look at guys like, a, like a Walker Zimmerman and you've got guys yeah. like Ariola. And you've got my boy Kellen Acosta, which I love. And these guys play every and Jesus week. Ferreira. Jesus Ferreira and Ricardo <laughs> Pepe last yeah. year and Daryl right. DK last year before the Barnsley thing. So yeah, I think that the way with the way the quality of MLS has raised throughout the years, I don't think it should even be a thing anymore. Where we're saying, well, no, you have to go to right. a Europe. I mean, yeah, you want to go, you want to challenge yourself, absolutely. But I also don't understand to a certain extent. Matt Turner, you're leaving New England. You're, you're supporter shield winner. You're in a World Cup season. Okay, you're hurt. But now you're going to Arsenal in June, where Aaron Ramsdale has been one of the main reasons that they're fighting for top four. The season ends in June also. So uh, what? how does this work? I mean, really, are you basically giving the keys to a Stefan and saying, well, it's going to be your position now because you've been playing and because, I mean, you're – you know, you know the team, even though he's in the same situation with City. So it's really, it's really, it's confusing to a certain extent because you want the best for the team, obviously. But what is that? Is it playing or is it playing with the best talent against the best talent? Because Stefan gets to play against first man City side every week in, in training. And he does have Pep Guardiola giving him all of these wonderful lessons. But again, eventually he's going to have to go somewhere and use them. Otherwise, I would think as a nation, we're getting secondhand stuff because our guys just aren't playing day in and day out. Yeah, and that's that's a great point that I that I didn't uh, you know fully flush out there. But it's true. I mean, playing is huge, and that's that's why I advocated for Ferrer to play in that first game against Mexico yeah. because he was the hot hand, you know, and and Pifok hadn't been playing all that well with his club team in Switzerland, and so I wanted I wanted him to play, and he didn't. So we'll, we're going to see this going look, forward. You look back like you know I don't want to cut you off, but Tim yeah. Howard. Tim Howard right. was amazing for us for how many years? Why? Because he played at Manchester United before what? Uh, before and they, they, yeah, well, that was a, yeah, but he, he played there before Vandesar and, and then in between. Right. But yes, then he went to Everton and he started. I, I mean, ninety-five percent of matches oh, yeah. he started, and he played in you know, and that wasn't necessarily the best league in the world at the time, but it was still top three, top four, yeah. two maybe. And and look how good he was in what was it, twenty ten, and 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 right. so on and so forth. And he's probably the greatest U.S. Goal, goalkeeper we've ever had. So he had that blend. And Everton wasn't a great team. And yeah, I mean, United was good, but you know, they were up and down when he was there, but he played, he played against the best players in the world and he started. And I think that is the mix that eventually that we really need to get to with these guys. And that's why I've, I've been all over Pulisic saying, man, you're so good. If you can stay healthy, get the heck out of Chelsea because you've won trophies, but now you yeah. need to play. And that's really the biggest thing. And, and I don't know, maybe he does feel the same way, or maybe he wants to fight for that spot because we've all got egos, but yeah, I think Tim Howard is is my is my biggest you know star spangled banner salute because he did it he did it the right way and he he for us for the U.S. men's national team it worked. Yeah, and Dempsey's another idea. You know, Dempsey right. when he was at Fulham was playing a lot too. And right. again, Fulham wasn't the best. They were a mid-table club at best, and then they've you know fallen down to a a lower t- lower table, a second tier club now. But at the time, they were mid-table, and, and Dempsey played a lot. So. That's something interesting to think about. We'll see what Burhalter does about that going forward and into the World Cup. But to get mm-hmm. to the World Cup, you know, uh, the game is tonight. So many of you will be watching this on YouTube, listening to this uh, on whatever network you get your podcast, the MLS show, after U.S. men's team play Costa Rica. But, Mike, just uh, any quick thoughts on uh, on tonight's game that, uh, that people can hang on to? 
this is it. This is it. The last time these two guys met, uh, this registered the U.S. team registered a two-to-one victory at Lower.com Field in Columbus. Yeah, yeah, I said that before. Uh, over the past five matches, Costa Rica's completely seeded possession, averaging thirty-two point eight percent of the ball. So, as we've said, doesn't necessarily mean anything. Uh, from the run of play, uh, they really do a lot with their wingers. They direct passes over the top of the back line. So, again, let's see if Zimmerman's playing tonight. How they're going to set up? Perhaps it's Miles Robinson. Maybe it's Aaron Long who. Um, hasn't played a whole lot since his uh, recovery from knee injury. Uh, the attack for Costa Rica is something that I was really interested in, uh, just to try to find out more about against our opponent, obviously, because they only have 11 goals in 13 World Cup qualifying matches. Uh, luckily, their defense is pretty good. They've only surrendered eight during the entire octagonal round. So, yeah, I mean, obviously, Kaylor Navas is Kaylor Navas. He's one of the greatest goalkeepers of our generation. Um, you know, super underappreciated, perhaps, is also another way to look at it. Um, but uh, look, the U.S., we need to lose by six goals to fall out of automatic qualifications. Uh, Costa Rica sits in four, three points off the U.S. So unless we lose 6 nothing, which would be historically bad, yeah. and I do not want to see it because I still will never forget Trinidad and Tobago. I don't think – Tobago? I don't think it's going to – happen um therefore a fourth place team whoever that is costa rica is probably going to play against the oceanus qualification campaign either new zealand or the solomon islands new zealand uh so what so my question is what does costa rica do they've got nine players sitting on yellow cards that's a ton that is a ton and we just saw that with deandre yedlin and timothy not george Weah. Um, they missed the previous game on a yellow card. So what do you do if you're if you're Costa Rica? Are you sitting those guys because you know you're not gonna get six goals or even if you get two goals and win the match, it doesn't it doesn't mean anything. You're gonna likely play in that fourth. Personally, yeah, that's what I would do. I would sit these guys because yeah. Panama, who they're playing, um, is eliminated in the next uh, Canada who have already qualified doesn't matter uh so personally that's what i would do is you know and we'll see uh, qualification doesn't really mean anything at this point for the u.s because they're in as long as they don't lose six nothing so let's see what burhalter does is he going to put out that that number one team that we saw in the first game is it going to be his b squad completely um the cool thing that you guys should look for is that the pots for the world cup actually come out on friday um, i'm hoping that the u.s is in a pot two Pot three is going to be difficult. Um, that is obviously going to put you up against some of the bigger nations. Uh, and we'll get into that a little bit later in our rankings. But yeah, I mean, obviously you want to win. You want to win handedly. What uh, I can also see Berhalter pumping the brakes a little bit and playing. Is it Ferreira? You know, he's been hot. You know, do we perhaps establish a number nine tonight? Uh, do I think Pulisic and Reina are going to play? I would be shocked. Uh, but yeah, I guess, I guess we'll see. It's nice to go into this game knowing that Barring a meteor hitting the field, um, we're, we're going to be likely okay. Even though I was a little confused when I saw us unveil the qualifying banner at the end of the uh, Panama game. I was like, wait a minute. Did I miss something? Yeah. Yeah, that, that, uh, that makes you a little nervous. Uh, I can't even entertain the idea of a 6 nothing loss to a team that scored 11 goals. Uh, so I don't, it's not realistic. But again, Trinidad and Tobago happened, so... You never know. The only thing I would say, and, and you know, again, when you listen to this, this might have already been uh, done and dusted here, but I'd like to see some of the guys we haven't seen who are on the bench. Uh, Manchester City legend Eric Palmer Brown, who uh, has yet to step on the field uh, in the City Blue. Uh, he's been on loan for the last uh, decade or so, uh, if yeah, I don't think that's exactly correct. But uh, Christian Roldan, uh, James Sands, you know, like to see some of those guys get in there and yeah. uh, and do that. But 
that uh, that's it. It looks like the U.S. is heading to the World Cup, Mike. I mean, it, yeah. it's awesome. And that's it's really great because this is honestly going to be the final World Cup qualifying of consequence. Uh, the next World Cup is going right. to expand to 48 nations. Uh, and six, six of them are going to be CONCACAF nations. There are six good CONCACAF nations. So it's, it's a little watered down. And obviously the next World Cup is being uh, co-hosted by the U.S., Canada, and Mexico. So all three nations are automatically going to get uh, qualified, which I guess is cool. So we can, if we don't have a number nine within the next four years, we can definitely probably figure it out by then. Uh, but yeah, so enjoy the game because this is the last time you'll probably have to uh, bite your your your, no, your tails, your uh, fingernails. And um, yeah, just enjoy it for what it's worth because we're, we're in there like swimwear in 2026. There it is. World Cup in Qatar, November. Ugh, here we come. Now, Mike, for some ridiculous reason, <laughs> there was MLS games this weekend. Yeah. So let's dive into those in our hot takes, our Tomas Calientes. Tomas Calientes. Mamma mia, that's a spicy meatball. Ole, 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 ole. Ole, 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 ole. And uh, your team, missing a lot of its stars, uh, yeah. Drew 1-1, Orlando City 1. Portland Timbers won. What were your takeaways from uh, this game that should have never been played? It was ridiculous. Yeah, when, when we were doing the rundown last week and I, I said, well, yeah, we're playing LAFC on the second. I didn't even realize we were playing the Timbers beforehand because I didn't think it was the thing. How did MLS schedule three games? You can't do these things. You're killing me. Anyway, Orlando City, I've got a number of hot takes. They're all pretty hot. The first one is they should have won the game, okay? Yeah. Should have won the game. An 80th minute Andres Pereira foul, foul that led to a penalty kick. Again, VAR may or may not have been involved. <laughs> Whether or not the ref didn't want to go look at it. Moron. I'm going to call myself. Despite despite not having our keeper, Pedro Galese, Facundo Torres, who is really important, and Sebas Mendes, who is playing for Ecuador. All three of these guys playing for their countries in World Cup qualifying. The Lions' expected goals went from 0.2 terrible in the first half to 0.8 by the end of the match a little bit better uh timbers were 0.8 to 1.9 by the match's end both squads were getting more chances in the second half than the first we talked about orlando Orlando city can sometimes start a little slow um anyway second hot take benji michelle and robin jansen were both giving yellow cards in stoppage time orlando city you have to be a more disciplined team this bothers the crap out of me because you're committing fouls and receiving cards so late in games it's costing you points and on the road and on the road three points as compared to one goes a long way to finishing higher in the standing when playoff time rolls around I've said it i'll say it again i don't care when the game is you don't want to drop points i don't care if it's the fifth match of the season hot take number three junior urso is invaluable this guy is money 33 years old the bear he's from brazil He's so good. He's, he was responsible, again, for the Lions' lone goal of the day when he finished off a nice pass from my boy Alexander Pato in the 56th minute, 52nd minute. Excuse me. Led the club with three shots, two on target, 70 touches at an 88.9% success rate of passing, four tackles in the defensive side, one interception, and a clearance. The man does it all. He is so good. Hot take number four, Robin Janssen. Antonio Carlos are the best pair of center backs in the MLS. I don't want to hear it. You can at me if you want. Janssen had four tackles, three 
clearances, two block shots, and completed 92.1 of his 38 passes. Antonio Carlos, who last week my hot take was will make the MLS All-Star team. I still believe that. He blocked a shot. He led the team with five interceptions, seven clearances, 61 touches from a center back, and won three aerial battles and passed at a decent 84.4% rate. There we go. A lot to get out at one time. So a lot of hot takes for Orlando because there just wasn't that many MLS games, but there should have been none. So there's another hot take. Yeah, and uh, love Junior Urso. He's been fantastic. My hot take is I've said it before. I'll say it again. Orlando just needs to go all out on offense. They need to find a way to get Benji Michel, Urso, Kara, Facundo Torres, Alexander Pato all on the field together. That is their key to success. Um, and then just it's it's really ridiculous that they play during that some teams play during the international break. Yeah. No team should play. But if you're gonna have if you're gonna have games, you have to have all the teams. Otherwise, it's just it's not a level playing field. And you know these teams drop points, and like, like we always say, that that can add up, and it's a big deal at the, at the end of the year when it's playoff time. And to have some teams be forced to play during without all their their best players is a joke. Oh, I mean, Orlando City finally won last week in LA for the first time since 2018. Came home, then had to fly back to Portland. You're missing your goal, your goalkeeper, who is one of the hands-down best goalkeeper probably in CONCACAF. You've got Madison yep. Stuhar, who did a pretty decent job, but you're depending solely on your defensive center backs because your wingers are iffy at best. Uh, you've got your best players, Junior Urso. Pato, who didn't start the week before, he did start. He looked good. He had the assist. Kara didn't start. Came on with like six minutes left. I'm kind of confused of everything that went on. It was like, you know, Perea had a little bit of brain freeze. And and yeah, it's just really, really curious as to as to why these things are happening. Um, we, we saw it in the last World Cup cycle that these games kind of just went on and, and a lot of teams suffered. Uh, yeah. and, and luckily, Orlando City got a point. Again, should have been three points. But I guess at the end of the day, as a supporter, you got to say we're missing all these guys. We got one point. So be it. Yeah, all right. Well, that's so be it is right. Uh, two more ridiculous games. Sporting Kansas City 1, Real Salt Lake 0. Uh, I can't believe we both have something to say about this, but uh, go ahead and uh, tell me. I'm reaching. Game. Yeah, I'm yeah. reaching here. Sporting Kansas City is the oldest team on the planet. Okay, Graham Zussi uh, in the 58-minute pass. Matt Beasler, who doesn't play there anymore, uh, plays for Austin. He moved into first place for minutes played in all competitions for KC. 30,430 minutes played by Graham Zussi, who I'm pretty sure was on the World Cup team in 1980. He was really good for us back then. Um, he made his 303rd start in MLS competitions, tying him with formerly mentioned Matt Beasler for the most all time. Holy goodness. Then there's Roger Espinoza, who made his 300 start in all competitions. Just the third player to reach the mark. He's 35. And 152 days, Espinoza tied Kevin Hartman as the ninth oldest player to appear in or start a game for KC in both league play and all competitions. And then finally, there's Tim Milia, who made his 200th league start for KC, the goalkeeper. He's the ninth player to ever reach that mark. His 200th league start ties him with Seth Sinovich for eighth all-time on the list. Tim, Kansas City is not very good, and I think it's because they're ancient. Yeah, and that's, you know, Kansas City obviously is the, one of the reasons 
Uh, probably the only reason that I enjoy them is because that's one of my favorite MLS drinking games is to uh, take a sip every time a, a U.S. men's national team player who played with Tony Miola or uh, or Landon Donovan pops up. So Graham Zeus is on there. It's like when uh, Dax McCarthy uh, stomped on a player in the Nashville SC game last week. Uh, oh, look at Dax McCarthy. He's still alive. That's uh, that's great. And now he's probably suspended uh, for who knows how long. Yeah, yeah, he got a red card. He deserved it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, you know, my only hot take here, surprising win. Uh, again, international break, so it is what it is. But you just wonder if uh, Real Salt Lake, who came in as one of the hottest teams at MLS, after huge wins over Nashville and New England uh, and they have a big game coming up against Colorado this weekend so uh, I wonder if they kind of took sporting Kansas City for granted which uh, I probably would too but uh, that could have been the key to the loss and then the only teams that maybe should play to the international break because uh, they don't have any players who <laughs> who are missing here are Charlotte FC and FC Cincinnati uh, in the toilet bowl of the uh, of yep. the league Charlotte the expansion team took down Cincinnati or Stinkinati as Mike enjoys calling them two to nothing. What are your takeaways? Well, there was a little bit of controversy that I actually didn't even write on my notes, but I read briefly about it in the Charlotte observer that uh, Carol Swiderski, who was, I guess, injured, not this week, but the previous week and was taken out of the game and then was listed uh, as having, I think it was a hamstring injury. uh, And that was reported to the Polish national team. And the Polish national team then said, well, he can stay home because he's not going to be able to play in the World Cup qualifiers. Well, it turns out that he obviously did play against Cincinnati. And there was some uh, language, we'll call it, from the Polish people that run the team. So if you want to read that, go check it out because it was quite lively. Again, people that don't speak English, they speak it really well when they want to uh, get their words out in in forceful ways. Uh, So, yes, so so Poland was playing with only one striker. You might know, have heard of him, Robert Lewandowski. Uh, So, But again, Karol Swiderski is better than anyone expected. That is my hot take because, like Tim said last week, he is Robert Lewandowski light. Look, that second goal, the Galazzo left-footed free kick from a set piece was certainly played the part. Um, Absolutely amazing. Uh, Carroll had a brace, now gives him four goals on the season, tied for the league lead with Brandon Vasquez. Uh, It's the first goal, uh, the first, excuse me, the first goal came off of uh, what we call here at the MLS Soccer Show's early call for Rookie of the Year, Ben Bender and his assist. This kid is fantastic. So, so good. Um, I'm, I'm still blown away that, Charlotte's doing anything, but kudos to them. Uh, moving over to Stinkinati. This is a very, their attack is very top heavy at the moment. Brandon Vasquez accounts for 80% of the club's goals through five matches. And obviously he was not involved in this game, hence not scoring anything. Uh, Cincinnati has scored five goals and already has been shut out three times through five games. That's not good. That's why they were in our the bottom of our power rankings. The only other player to score this season for Stinkinetti is Ronald, Ronald Matarita. Uh, and he is not going to be doing anything anytime soon as he was taken out really, really badly in the World Cup qualifying game against Canada for his native Costa Rica. Uh, Mark Anthony Kay got a yellow card. Took him out bad. It looks like it could potentially be a torn ankle tendon, which will require surgery, which is not good at all for Cincinnati because now uh, you've got no other goals coming from anywhere except for Brandon Vasquez. And if you can, you know, if you can keep him out of uh, the, I guess, the 18 yard box, you're likely going to win some games. So uh, really, really bad. The only other good news, actually, is it good news? I don't know. It depends who you ask. Some Cincinnati fans were happy. Some were not. They traded Gustavo Valencia to Colorado. The Colorado Cronkies back in it in exchange for a package of financial assets valued around $1.3 million. 
Um, he's only played less than 25 matches, so that's a lot of money for a guy that's pretty much, you know, new at this thing. Uh, you have to wonder, though, about the direction of the club because this is a 22-year-old center, uh, center back who was thought to be the future of the club, and now he won't. In the meantime, the club gets uh, an under-22 initiative roster spot. Hey, that's awesome. Wait a minute, you had a 22-year-old. And the back line gets a little bit older. So if you're a stinking Addy fan, you got to be just as confused as you were before Vasquez went off a couple weeks ago. Yeah, that's true. And, uh, you know, speaking of being a stinking Addy fan, on this podcast, that uh, is where you fall. Because before the season, I said Charlotte was going to have more wins. You said Cincinnati. We set the win total at three and a half. It actually looks like both teams will probably eclipse that. uh, So they won't be as bad as either of us thought. But Charlotte, man, Swidarski and Bender are legit. They are going to upset some teams as the season goes on. Are you ready to hop on the Charlotte FC bandwagon with me and off the stinking Addy bandwagon? Nope. nope. Okay. I definitely I definitely think Stinkinati is going to be the worst team in the league, though. So, All right, uh, there we I will, go. I, we'll give them that. But, yeah, I'm impressed with Cincinnati. Uh, them, Austin, there's a, there's a quite a few teams that are turning heads. I guess it's parity. you got to give it got to give it to MLS. There's a lot of, you know, the draft works um, to a certain extent. Tam and Gam and salary caps and all that works. Um, just doesn't work for Inter-Miami. Yeah, and uh, I was going to say, at least they're not Inter-Miami is uh, what we can walk away from here. All right, yes. so that is our Tomas Calientes, our hot takes for the week. Tomas Calientes. We'll obviously have a lot more MLS talk on next week's show after the full slate of games on the weekend. But Mike, now let's rank stuff. And because we were talking about uh, international football, uh, the World Cup coming up, all that stuff, Let's rank our top five World Cup favorites. And I'm going to ask you to do one more thing. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and guess that the U.S. probably isn't in your top five. So tell me where in your top 10, 15, 20 rankings the U.S. is after you give us the top five. Okay. Number five, Italy. I'm kidding. They lost. They lost in North Macedonia. It's It's a joke, guys. Work with me here. Come on. Number five is Brazil because they are Duke. They are the Duke of soccer and and look fifa's got them at number two which i don't agree with fifa's ratings at all because it's because i'll get to it in a minute belgium i've got them at four fifa's got them at one how are they number one when they've never won a big tournament since this golden generation of toby alderweireld and jan vertongen and kevin de bruyne and lukaku and i could go on and on they they do they have had a great run of things but it gets you what a third place finish in the world cup and um this is it this is their final shot all those guys not so much for de Bruyne and lukaku but that defense is so old that it's probably gonna be uh in sporting kansas city next year so look out for that (laughs) um number three i like to put number threes as like my 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 going out on the limb type of thing and you know whether or not you think this is limb spain spain because they are very young. They played way above their heads in the Euros, getting to the semis and only losing in penalty kicks. Look, they don't have a great striker when Alvaro Morata is probably still your number one, and it's not great. Um, FIFA's got him at seven. Eh, okay. Number two, I'm going for the team that I rooted for in 20, when, when was it? 2018, because we had no US and we had no Italy. That was a tough one. Uh, England, England, the recent Euro runner-up, my my favorite player at this time, Harry Kane. FIFA's got him at five. 
they just got to they just got to the the the, the constellation game and the euros they got to they were what number four in the previous world cup they're at number five how do we rank these and number one and if you don't agree with this then you're not watching football it's france because they're just ridiculous and fifa has them at three what i mean and Killian Mbappe alone, and then you just go down the roster, and you, it's just unfair. And they've growing kids at an alarming rate that are just better, one better than the next. Um, it's really, really an amazing team, and it'll be very difficult to beat them. But it's a tournament, and anything can happen. Um, St. Peter's and, and the NCAA tournament. Moving to the men's national team, I love them. But get, look, getting out of the group stage, because we're going to qualify. Uh, would be a major, major win after missing the tournament four years ago. Getting to the quarterfinals would set the U.S. up for an, I'm going to call it an epic run at the 2026 Cup where we're going to be co-hosting. So that's that's what my goal is, okay? I want to get out of the group stage. Getting to the quarterfinals would be amazing because I feel like playing on our, uh, you know, more neutral uh, places in the U.S., in Canada or Mexico, even Azteca Stadium, hey, what the heck, let's go. Um that would be awesome. FIFA has them ranked as 13. Mexico is currently 12. I have a hard time. Italy is six. Ah, there's a little bit of skepticism there. But you know what? A couple a month or so ago, um, they were at 10. I'm going to put the U.S. at number 10. Okay? There are there are better teams uh, currently ahead of them. Not Italy and Mexico. But, you know, there's the Denmarks of the world and there's the Netherlands of the world. So, you know, there are teams that are that have been there, either the, even though the Netherlands missed the final World Cup, uh, previous World Cup as well, and Portugal will be going uh, as they were fortunate and Cristiano Ronaldo the other day to get in and they're, they're around there as well. But I like I like the U.S.'s 10. It gives them that underdog vibe. It doesn't give them too much pressure heading in. And again, we get out of the group stage. We feel good about ourselves and we've gone and come a long way as where we were four years ago. Tim? What you got? So, yeah, I'm going to start uh, with the number one team at five. Uh, again, cause I don't know how FIFA ranks things. Oh, yeah. Belgium, I love Belgium. Uh, Kevin De Bruyne is one of my favorite players of all time. Uh, Vincent Company was when he was there, even though, you know, he's pushing 40, so he may show up for the World Cup team. Who knows at this point with uh, the age of their back line. Mm-hmm. But Eden Hazard is always a no-show in big spots. And so De Bruyne and Lukaku can only do so much. That's why they're five, and they're never going to win a World Cup with this golden generation, unfortunately. Number four, Argentina in what could be Lionel Messi's last World Cup. Probably should be his last World Cup. Uh, All right, Sergio Aguero with his now heart condition. He's retired. He's not going to play. The Aguero dynamic with the national team was always kind of uh, an an issue, a distraction. I think with that gone and Messi in full Messi mode, he can do whatever he wants. They have a chance to uh, to be there when the when the dust settles. So therefore, in front of them, their South American counterparts, Brazil. Again, you know, Brazil has just lately in the last couple World Cups been uh, lesser than the sum of their parts. You know, I mean, the, the parts are amazing. They they have so much talent on that squad, but they uh, they just can't seem to uh, to get it together as a team. Number two is France. Think France is great. I know. Apparently, I'm not watching football because I don't uh, I don't see France as the great. But listen. You know, Pogba is a guy who always steps up for his national team. Mbappe, uh, during the Euros, played an incredible level. Uh, can they keep that up in the World Cup? I don't know. You know, usually there there's some differential between how people play in the Euros and the World Cup, so that doesn't shock me. But I think England is going to go ahead, and, and football is coming home. They are uh, going oh, to win the World just... Cup. Football is coming home. I don't care. Home anymore. 
It's my, uh, sorry, sorry, my, my second favorite team that's packed with Manchester City players, Premier League players. Uh, they're going to be good. They have so much young talent. Uh, Foden, Bellingham, uh, Jaden Sancho, who we don't want to talk about. But uh, just just a ton of great guys on this team. And uh, I think England is finally going to uh, do it since, what, 65, 56, somewhere in that neighborhood. Uh, Four, I think, something 54. like that. 54, okay, yeah. So the football is coming home. Uh, unfortunately, it's not coming home to the U.S., uh, so listen, I agree. Uh, they're better than Mexico. Um, you can even make an argument. They're better than Denmark. Cause you know, without Christian Eriksen, and I mean, I know he scored for the first time since that incredibly scary episode during the Euros mm-hmm. with his heart condition. Uh, you know, uh, unfortunately he's just not, uh, the, the, one of the best players in the world. Like he was before that happened. Uh, so you can make an argument. U.S. is better than Denmark. You can make an, uh, an argument. They're better than the Netherlands, uh, who also missed out on the last world cup. Um, but again, you can make an argument that Croatia, who's ranked lower, Uruguay, who's ranked lower, might be better. So it, it does seem like top 12 is about right for where they are, right? Uh, I don't yeah. know if I could get them as high as 10, but uh, you know, I could get them as high as 12, which makes the top 16 the to get in the World Cup realistic. It makes the top eight, like you said, the quarterfinals right on the line of being great. So I don't, I think getting out of the, getting out of the groups, you know, unless they're in the group of death is really yeah. a must. And yeah, I know you can't even think about that, but unless you're in the group of death, getting out is a must. And, uh, and after that, everything is gravy again, setting up for the, uh, the home 2026, uh, world cup, which is going to be yeah. huge. So that's where we rank the international teams at the moment. Uh, my couple quick more things before we leave for today, uh, staying on the U S men's national team, you had a fun potent quotables. Let's take a look at the board and the categories are, Potent potables mm. this week from Greg. Greg with three G's, uh, one of right. two at the back. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, as uh, as the old Saints coach used to say, the second G is for genius. And mm. uh, Burholter after the five one victory, where he looked like a genius, uh, maybe. Uh, what do you have to say about the team? And then what do you have to say about the crowd? That of course you were a part of. Yeah, he was talking about me. Um, he, Greg, Greg, after the, the after the win, he said, quote, you can see exactly what the guys took on and their motivation to get back to the World Cup. We scored five goals in the game, and I think we could have had more if we were a little bit more clinical at times, but we made a big step towards our goal of qualifying for the World Cup. You're correct, and you also have the best shoe collection of any head coach I've ever seen. On the crowd. And he said, hey, Mike, the crowd was unbelievable. We enjoy playing in Orlando. This is exactly why the crowd, even when we arrived at the stadium, the people in their seats and the cheering really helped boost the team. There was drumming. He didn't say this, but he said, I, I said this. There was drumming. There was yelling. There was screaming. There were fireworks. It was America, and it was awesome. So that that's, that's what we need. We need more of that. And hopefully – when we make the World Cup, we have some supporters go all the way to Qatar. Or as I heard someone say it the other day, Qatar. Yeah, the Qatar, Qatar, however you want to pronounce it. Uh, I'm interested. I'm really am interested to see. You know, it's one thing to go to to go to Europe, to go to Asia, but you know, for the American outlaws to travel in mass yeah. to uh, Qatar is it, 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 it's tough. And so we will see uh, how that pans out I in November. Hear, I heard a great stat today that the gentleman said on the radio, uh, Sirius XM. Every game being played in Qatar is within 32 miles of each other. That's wow. crazy. Yeah, that, that I mean, so if you do go to to Qatar, Qatar, Quater, you can drive there. You could probably walk 
to each stadium if you yeah. if you're if you really really don't it's hot uh, but that I mean that's pretty cool even though it surely shouldn't be there yeah anyway. about, it also probably says something about the fact that that little 32 mile circle you probably shouldn't go out of or uh, you're gonna yeah. be oh, in trouble yeah. Yeah, <laughs> in yeah, trouble in, in the because of the weather or whatever else you know it's mm-hmm. going to be an issue. So that's yes. a great quote from uh, Burhalter there. Great quotes from Burhalter there. Mm-hmm. But uh, you also had a uh, an MLS quote, a uh, potent quotable that you like today. Charlotte I mean, FC coach on. Miguel Ramirez. Let's hear it. He's famous for his wonderful quotes, and I love funny quotes, and he he's the yeah. best. Uh, he says, quote, I feel like I'm improving as a coach, and I think that all these matches have only helped me grow. This is a long journey. This is only my third stint as a head coach. I'm practically still in diapers when it comes to a coaching career. My players have taught me a lot. They've been important in my growth as a coach, end quote. I mean, the the guy, it's not his first language, but you know what? He owns it. He owns it. And diapers, it's a young coach. Kudos to him. They they look look really good. (laughs) And it's interesting to hear Ramirez, who basically uh, called his team because roster crap uh, a month ago. And then he gets a designated player in Swiderski, and all of a sudden uh, he's an improving coach. So uh, apparently uh, talent goes a long way, and uh, it it will help him uh, get out of diapers here. Moving on, last but not least, Mike, betting on football is fun. Uh, recently more fun for you because you're 10 and eight on the season, a little yeah. less fun for me. Cause I'm eight and nine, but, uh, we are each going to pick seven games on the upcoming weekend. And, uh, hopefully you can keep your winning ways about you. I can get over Mount 500 and get back, uh, to, to winning some cash here. Yeah. But, uh, let's start with you, Mike, give me, uh, your seven games this weekend. All right. Take them in the order that you'd like. Uh, and if you lose, don't blame me, blame Andrew. Sure. Uh, producer Austin plus 190 over San Jose that seems pretty good Kansas City old men plus 170 over Vancouver it's a little dicey but Vancouver's been awful the fire the Chicago fire with Gagas Lonina plus 105 over Dallas and this is the caveat or caveat if no Jesus Ferreira I don't think he's gonna play um, personally, I think it would be smart if Dallas gives him uh, a couple days off after playing, especially if he plays on Wednesday night, right. then I'm doing it. I'm probably going to regret it, but I'm going with Tim's team. NYCFC <laughs> plus plus one twenty five over Toronto because they too are old and in Toronto. Then I'm going with a team that I really don't like. Uh, and this one could be a, a three, three draw as well, but I'm going to take Atlanta because it's plus 225 over DC. DC has not been great. We talked about them last week. They basically are the New York Red Bull, who I then take in the next as a draw. And this is always scary because who knows, but it's got 275 to it, which is why I took New York Red Bulls to draw New England. These are New England's not very good either, but oh yeah, just take the draw if you gotta. And then Houston, Plus 210, not a great team either, but they're playing Miami. So probably Miami's going to end up squeaking something out here because they just, you know, they don't like me either. So it's probably just going to be a vendetta match. But if you're putting money down and you can get 210 on Houston, again, we're, we're counting the days until uh, until the coaching change in Miami does happen. So uh, hopefully uh, Gary's got his uh, bags packed. Yeah, that's uh, all interesting matches. Uh, yeah, Gary Neville is uh, not long for the MLS, it seems. At this point, uh, I have seven games as well. Uh, I get my odds from FanDuel, so they're going to be some slightly different ones, but uh, gen- same general idea. I have NYCFC plus 115 over Toronto. Uh, I know that uh, they beat Montreal. They uh, lost to the Vancouver Whitecaps, so I see uh, New York 
getting the edge in the series against the Canadian teams here with a win over Toronto. Again, there's a caveat on this one as well for me. Dallas FC plus 250 over Chicago. That's if Ariola, Ferreira, and Velasco plays. Even if two of the three of them play. Even if Ferreira does sit. If Ariola and Velasco play, uh, I will still take Dallas. Uh, I got LAFC, sorry Mike, over your uh, plus 150 over your Orlando City. Uh, I have Philadelphia minus 240. The uh, the run in Charlotte stops now. Uh, that's not great odds, but uh, if you want to throw that in a parlay to make it a little bigger and, and help boost your winnings, I think that uh, Philly should take care of business pretty easily over Charlotte. Austin plus 80 over the uh, the San Jose Earthquakes. Portland Timbers, this I have a plus 250 draw versus the LA Galaxy. Both these teams are, are just kind of middling recently, and I think uh, I think they settle for a draw here. And then, Mike, I'm with you. I'm going to follow uh, Inner Miami right down the tubes for as long as uh, as the odds support it. So Houston mm-hmm. Dynamo, I'm not super confident in, but yeah. I just have so much more confidence in any team that's not uh, coached by Gary Neville, owned by David Beckham, and does yeah. not play in Miami. And let me re- correct myself and you. We It's not Gary. It's Phil. It's the other Phil one. Phil Neville. So oh, my God. Yeah, you said Gary like Neville. My- Kind of like my George Timothy Weah from last week. I'm just going to yes. keep it going. If you're a brother or a son and a, and a father, you're probably going to get you confused on this show. So uh, Phil Neville, you hey. should have your bags packed. Gary Neville is a pundit now in, in in England and supposedly does really well on Sky Sports. So there's that. But yeah, you're right. Inner Miami, stinkeroo. There you go. So once we start calling uh, uh, Gio Reno Claudio, then you know we'll have a real problem here. Somebody did that at the game. They were, oh, that's what really? Yeah, they called him that, and then the announcer on the big board, when it, he got to Jesus Ferreira, he mentioned uh, uh, the same player right before he mentioned him again, and then the fans went quiet, and it was super awkward. So <laughs> it just shows, like, scroll down. Just keep scrolling. That's all you're supposed to do. All right, well, listen, that is going to be all for us today. Uh, thank you, as always, to our producer, Andrew Kula, who didn't uh, make the show today, but... He will be uh, on the on the edit behind this, uh, as always. And uh, Mike, last but not least, before uh, you tuck in for the U.S. Costa Rica game and to, to truly celebrate qualifying and put up that banner in your house, uh, tell the people where they can follow us on social. Yes, it is all the same: Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, ML Soccer Show. Uh, if you want to watch this on on uh, YouTube, it is MLS soccer show so make sure you type that in and if you were uh if you're if you're all following us then you saw all those fantastic videos that i took from uh from the game the other night christian pulisic scoring those two those two pks i got that i got the players running out of the tunnel so if you're not following us that's the type of stuff that you want to see um we've got plenty of great graphics going on obviously betting is fun we've got we got potent quotables we got stuff there that you're going to want to keep up with. Uh, we've got some potentially wonderful interviews on deck. If we do that, we will put out a, a, an announcement, we'll call it, to let you know who and when so that you can make sure that you tune in because it, if it happens, fingers crossed, it is going to be fantastic. Great. Thanks a lot. Talk to you soon. Thanks, guys.